previously on the Untitled Beatles podcast. This week's episode, about to be a favorite of mine. 60th anniversary of Please Please Me. Yeah, this and the Hard Day's Night topped the joy list, I think. I've always ranked Please Please Me. It's my second least favorite record by this band. Ain't She Sweet has a better vocal than Come Together. Someone had to say it. Uh-oh. I would say that what the Beatles did and what this album represents, this is ass-kicking. Maybe. We can take the squeaky bass drum sound off of the record. I don't want that. I don't want the cough. I don't want the sniffles. Isn't dipping that weird thing that like Christian kids do so that they're not having sex? What up, great steak and potato? I saw her standing there. Is it better than the Tiffany version from 1988? I don't care. Untitled Beatles podcast. Next song is Misery. The fifth song to be recorded. This is recorded in the afternoon session. The world is treating me bad. Misery. I'm the kind of guy who never used to cry. The world is treating me bad. Misery. Yeah, when they started out, there was a focus on original songs. I think Brian Epstein was like, hey, this is where the money is. So they came in, started with There's a Place. I saw her standing there. And this is uh, also one of the originals. Arguably one of the weakest original Beatles songs ever written. Could be forgiven. Hmm. It's it's an early, early, early one. But if you, we have to see where this ranks on both of our lists. QP, Threesy Nuts. Tony has it at number 85, whereas TJ ranks it at 174, or his 13th least favorite Beatles original. But even though it's one of the older and more old school Beatles songs, Tony, the initial kind of chord guitar strum feels, it's got like a reverb, especially in stereo, that feels different. You're already seeing modern recording technology and weird recording technology techniques. (laughs) The guitar feels different. John's kind of faux moaning the, oh, 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 the whining at the end. Yeah. It's clearly tongue in cheek. So this is a song that in the Dave Clark fives hands or Gary and the Jerry and the pacemakers or Gary and the pacemakers, (laughs) depending who's filling in that day. Um, This song is pure, unlistenable cheese in lesser hands. In the Beatles' hands, it's working on like three or four different levels. Even this primitive composition exists in 3D. That's fun. 3D, I like that. In 3D. (laughs) See, I've always liked this song. I'll take this over Little Child any day. Like this, this, me too. Yeah, this to me, this, this is a nice little song. I love that it's called Misery. First of all, that's great. That's a great little song title. Z talk about St. Louis or Kansas City. (laughs) (laughs) Missouri. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't say it that way. But it's so upbeat, though, too. So it's it's fun. It's one of those. It's one of those up uh, happy songs with sad lyrics. It was written for Helen Shapiro. So they're in the middle of this tour and they were going to give her a song because they like her and whatever. They started work for it backstage at King's Hall, Stoke-on-Trent in Staffordshire, Staffordshire, on January 26th, 1963. Speak English! American <laughs> English! If we could get a round of applause for 
Apparently a couple of guys from the Hollies were backstage and may have helped contribute to the writing. So once again, Graham Nash and Alan Clark want to check for some misery here. Yeah, but the Hollies were only back there because that's where there was a bus stop. <laughs> yeah, they were just commuting. <laughs> and they were taking the bus stop to the fair to go riding on a carousel. Oh. <laughs> with their dear friend, Carrie Ann. Oh, jeez. I got a lot of Hollies references for you. Untitled Hollies podcast. <laughs> like and subscribe. Um... <laughs> Getting back to the Beatles, TJ. <clears throat> Fine. So then uh, John and Paul play it for Helen's manager, Nori Paramore, who rejected it on the spot. He was like Decca Records, but as a human being. <laughs> He's a walking Decca Records. <laughs> uh, Kenny Lynch, though, who was also on that package tour, did record it, making it the first Lennon-McCartney song to be recorded by a different artist. You been treating me bad misery I'm the kind of guy who never used to cry but now you're treating me bad misery That's so cool. I didn't know that until you shared that with me. And that's it's a neat version of it. They were trying to market Kenny Lynch as being like a early 60s black pop singer. I don't know if his career ever took off, but it's cool that that first Beatles cover song was by a modern black artist. That's neat. It's cool, man. It's definitely cool. Kenny Lynch. Yeah, he went on to do acting, music. He was kind of a jack of all trades. Uh, you know where you can find him, my friend? On the cover of Band on the Run. There you go. There uh-huh. you go. Yeah, he's, uh, he's on the cover. Next time we play Trivial Pursuit, we'll know that. <laughs> oh, I cannot wait to play Trivial Pursuit again with your ever-changing rules. <laughs> Another thing I love in this song, Tony, I know you love too, is when John sings Shend Her Back to Me. Oh, it's I love such that. A fun. Again, it plays... Because I don't hate the song. Calling this a low-end Beatles song is not an... Low-end might be a bit much, but it's not my top 100 Beatles songs. Misery is not. But John, with a cold scatting at the end of the song, Take 7 on the, is fun on, on the 63 Bootlegs record. Because George is doing the, uh, the piano run on the guitar, which is neat to hear. Yeah, the uh, piano overdub was recorded at 30 inches per second, which is twice as fast. So, uh, yeah, that's that was another one of George Martin's studio tricks was to play the piano uh, an octave lower and then speed it up twice as much, raising it an octave and giving it like a unique sound. It's Kismet, the Fifth Beetle. I mean, the 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 small inventions and the trust that they engendered with each other in this early this early all day session, Tony. It's magic. It's Kismet. It's just it's wonderful. And for all you edit heads out there, 
the master is a composite of take seven and then take nine, and the edit comes in on Shend. Yes. <laughs> Which is a perfect place for it. Yeah. And we, we've mentioned this before, but this was one of those lost Beatle tracks. This did not appear on uh, U.S. stuff till 1980. This and there's a place which is coming up. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, the B-side of Rollover Beethoven on the Starline capital budget label. So if you had that, you could have heard it. But that, you know, that went out of print however long that took. I, I do have a copy of Kansas City backed with boys for some reason. <laughs> On Starline? <laughs> but I think capital of Canada, Starline possibly. Yeah. Yeah, I've always liked Misery. It, to me, it's a great song. I, I I would keep it. I would keep it on my altered fantasy Beatles in leather, leather Beatles, <laughs> wet leather Beatles. Ringo took his shoe off. It smelled like a can of beans from 1968. There's a plug. Oh, it's that kind of plug. <laughs> Next up, Tony, is the first cover. And with all due respect to the great Arthur Alexander, who never quite got the the fame that I think some of his contemporaries had, certainly. But the Beatles, especially John, loved Arthur Alexander. The Beatles better Arthur Alexander's Anna. It's in a different key. John sings it more dramatically. Arthur Alexander is more matter of fact. Yeah. This version of Anna is one of a few covers on this record that, sorry, it's better than the original. does suffer from squeaky bass drum syndrome, which is heard periodically on this record and later Beatle records, too. In a 1987 interview, George Martin lamented that if he had known how closely scrutinized this album would have been, he would have done something about the squeaky pedal. So great. <laughs> and then he wanted to fix it in Capitol. So we got to get the CDs out. Shut up. <laughs> uh, you mentioned earlier in the program, TJ, though, that you uh, with AI technology and on a possible, you know, super deluxe re issue, issue, issue of this record, you'd want to keep the squeaky bass pedal, huh? Yeah, Tony. And I think we're going to have a more enemy to call up my partner, but I smell... Beetle hypocrisy. C, C. Yes, yes, yes. Beetle hypocrite alert, Tony. Because I'm confused. You don't love the the the, the squeaky uh, pedal. You don't love you don't love the sound of the squeaks. And yet Abbey Road's too polished for you. Which is it? Will you do it live, or will you book a studio time and not talk to your bandmates? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a funny one, right? Like, yeah, I agree with you. So this proves yet again that not everything's black or white, right? I think I would love wrong notes in a song. Or, uh, yeah, vocal things that happen, coughs and stuff. I love to keep those. <coughs> that was the end. Back just before I coughed. It's, it fades out. 
I I think I I would get rid of the squeaky bass drum pedal if that was an option. I I you know or put it in there once or something. <laughs> like here's the thing. I don't know. Nixon wanted to get rid of the squeaky wheels at Watergate. <laughs> and I think you and you know, you're like our like Elvis, you, Nixon. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying here. I said, well, put him on a garbage can somewhere, man. He's a freak. But I am not calling you a hypocrite. Uh, as a dick, because I also, I, I know where you're coming from. I just feel like to me, if we want raw, this is raw. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. I'm just trying to think like as a listener, it takes me out of the song. So I don't think they were like, yeah, I'd love that squeak on that bass drum pedal. You know, I think like in the moment, if they had wanted it off the record, they would have easily, they would be like, yeah, if there's a button that takes that away, they would have pressed it. No, that, that, I, I don't argue with that. And there's a few little things, like even the way is that the hi-hat kind of rattles at the end of the song on the yeah, fade out. Yeah, yeah. Go with him. But Tony, another cool thing that sets this album apart, the Anna, those reverb-drenched harmony echoes feel kind of psychedelic, don't they? They don't feel early hmm. 60s dry and normal. Yeah. Uh, that dominant George voice bathed in reverb i've always thought it's it it, again it's what separates it from like bobby v and like the cheesy perfect stuff yeah everything's just a little off kilter it's what makes the beatles the beatles yeah i like that i never quite thought of that as psychedelic so that's cool split the tab with me man So this was the first cover that they went into after the the Hold Me Tight debacle, where they spent about 13 takes, about 40 minutes working on Hold Me Tight. The original Maxwell Silver Hammer. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Yeah, and of course it's a Paul song, yeah. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, so this was the one that they went into when it's like, oh, shit, we got to get moving here. If we need, we need 10 sides We've got four <laughs> we, and it's uh, seven, it's almost eight o'clock or whatever yeah. PM and we've got two hours. So let's do some stuff. We know we're going to do Anna and we're, we're going to do chains. That's so weird. <laughs> chains is weird. Chains is weirder to me than boys. <laughs> it ranks uh, lower than boys for me. Yeah. Chains and little child and. Those two songs are my my Beatle bottoms. Chains, chains of love, chains of love, chains of love. Yeah, I, I don't think the song has aged particularly well. It's it's a quick little throwaway, and it's always fun to hear George sing. This is back in the day when George was getting. You know, you look at Star Club and look even the deck auditions. George got a lot of lead vocal time. Yeah. This would be it <laughs> yeah. for a while. <laughs> yeah. This was uh, originally recorded by the Cookies. And uh, it was George who bought the record at NEMS. So he's the one that got to sing the, the lead vocal on it. <laughs> George, <laughs> that's so great. Yeah. George bought a hundred of these, so it charted. <laughs> With the help of the Epstein family. (laughs) Yeah. That's the way people would know the song when the Beatles did it. (laughs) Oh, he's doing that song. Got it. Now I like it. Now believe me when I tell 
The Cookies, they were, yeah, they were an obscure group. Uh, they were also Ray Charles' backup singers and uh, the Realities, I think that's what they were called. Something the like Ray- that. Wait, is, is that the Ray Letts? There's the Ray Letts were Ray's backup singers, but oh. the Reality sounds fucking awesome. Yeah, you know what, man? That's, you know what it is? I think it's the Ray Letts and fucking. Autocorrect, because it says the realities right here. I'm like AI, <laughs> fucking yeah, AI. We, we talk fucking up my shit. Good thing we're not alive. <laughs> so they were also Ray Charles' backup singers. <laughs> the reality, the realities. No, Ray Charles' backup singers were the virtual insanities, the Jamiroquais. <laughs> Of course, uh, TJ, in the UK, the cookies were known as uh, many names, the biscuits, the chocolate hobnobs, the jammy dodgers and the Jaffa cakes. So look for the song Chains by any of those artists if you are living in the UK. (laughs) Love my wife and I do love a woman with a set of Jaffa cakes. (laughs) Jaffa, 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 Jaffa. Hey, listen, general public, for goodness sakes, my family, they go crazy for these Jaffa cakes. Let's move on. Yes, we talked about a little bit, but Boys, written by Luther Dixon and his new partner, Wes Farrell. This is one of the many Shirelle songs. The Beatles love doing Shirelle songs. Yeah. Uh, B-side of Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow. So that's where this came from. Everyone knows that one. B-side was Boys. That's pretty neat. And the Beatles, I think, gave this song a big spotlight because I don't think Boys was a kind of a hit before the Beatles cover. No, I don't think so either. But it was like Rory Storm and the Hurricanes did it. And Ringo sang it for that group. And Pete Best sang it when uh, he was in the Beatles. But he got it from John. So John used to sing the song who gave it to Pete, who then gave it to Ringo. And then sometimes Scylla Black sang it with Ringo. Is there a recording of that? It was with the Hurricanes, so I don't think so. Oh, I, I wish. Scylla and Ringo were close friends growing up, and back in the day, he even thought they might be more. He was like a, a best friend, even though he did ask me to marry him, but just for a giggle. Well, he was desperate, actually. Well, I bet you I'm gonna be a big star. And also Ringo sang this with Green Day when he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I got to do something with my hair. <laughs> And I want to thank Green Day for playing this song with me. That's a, that's a cool version.
I, you know, a lot of people love and are inspired by Ringo. Always trust the celebrities who say Ringo's great, the Dave Grohl's, <laughs> the Green Days, because the, the people, it's true, the people who 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 uh, kind of hate on Ringo have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I actually think as great as Ringo's singing and playing is this in this is, George's solo and Paul's screaming, this is a barn burner. This cover yeah. of Boys, to me, Ringo, he lets out a yeah boy toward the end that's like it's a rock song. No overdubs, no edits. So everything's live. Everything you hear is live. It's the only song that also only received one complete take. They only did it one time. It's wild, isn't it? Yeah. And Ringo nails it. It's also the only song on the album that has an instrument uh, prominently on the right side because of the way the drums were mic'd. Ringo's vocal and drums are on the right. There you go. But you know what, man? I only listen in mono now. So whatever. Warning. Uh, side one continues with uh, now we're, we're doing some of the singles. Uh, we're going in reverse order, starting with the B side of Please Please Me, Ask Me Why. Tony, you're a fan of If I Fell, you're yeah. a fan of Woman. Yeah. This song's the origin of those songs. This to me is sophisticated. The melody for a simple melody is so well executed. The starts and stops rhythmically. It's interesting. The final chord in this, the misdirection, the chord ends in a different key. I think the song is stunning. And like I saw her standing there, this is one you got a glimpse of on the Star Club tapes. Yeah. So you kind of yeah. saw this one kind of coming to fruition. My goodness, in an era where songs were predominantly written by songwriters for bands, on side one of this record, so far you have I saw her standing there. You've got Misery, and now you've got to ask me why. We haven't even gotten into the title track yet. My goodness, Tony, I think this song is an early John Stunner. Recorded completely live, no edits, no overdubs, just like boys. I know we talked in a different episode about like how there's like 13 beats here and then 10 beats here and a refrain happened. You know, it's 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 a uh, it's a complex song, uh, very John kind of like what would later become things like happiness is a warm gun and all that. You know? Yes, yeah. yes, what a great point. It's not just the embryonic if I fell and and woman and all that's and in my life, it is much more than that, Tony. Ask me why I say I love you. It was influenced by the miracles What's So Good About Goodbye There's some lyrical overlap All 
and it was the first Lennon McCartney song to be heard on the radio when they performed it live on Teenager's Turn, June 15th, 62. So that, I was with Pete on drums. By our guest for tonight, entitled Ask Me Why. Our guest being a group by the name of The Beatles. <laughs> Wasn't the first Beatles song to be heard on the radio, Donna Summers on the radio? No, it was Paul Schaefer's on the radio. <laughs> Get your on the radios right. <laughs> You know what, man? Uh, this song almost didn't happen. The first song they tried on November 26th, this is when they went in to record Please Please Me. The first song they actually tried was called Tip of My Tongue. Is that Tommy Quickly? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very strange sounding attempt at traditional pop. It's a, it's a weird little n- tune. People say I've never heard a Beatles version of that either. Yeah, I don't think I don't think those tapes exist. Ringo's got "Tickle My Tongue" on Vertical Man. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, TJ, maybe we'll get to go backstage at the Ringo concert and play "Tickle My Tongue" with Ringo. <laughs> we have to go backstage at the Ringo show. <laughs> I really want to ask the guy from Toto why Africa wasn't longer. <laughs> Yeah. Can't there have just been a part with just the timbales? Like a timbale only part. (laughs) And now for 30 minutes, Edgar Winter plays this riff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The title track closes side one. Your favorite Beatles song, TJ. You know where I'm at, Tony. I, I think it's the most exhilarately performed and written early song. Clock's in under two minutes. It's just pop rock perfection. Last night I said these words to my girl. Howlett in the mono box LP reissue set of Please Please Me remarks that the mono is the definitive version because there's no flub where John and Paul sing I know you and I know I over each other and then John kind of laughs and sings come on that sound of the mono version right and Kevin Howlett the esteemed Beatles writer for a lot of the liner notes and remasterer and Beatles guy I disagree with him. I prefer the stereo version for two reasons. One, because of the flub, which is a bit like the squeaky uh, bass pedal. Sure. It just feels it's a live performance. 
Two, it gives a sense of John's playfulness that he laughs. And right after he laughs, his delivery is the strongest it's been in the entire song. He laughs and then comes back with a growling, come on. He just attacks it with doubled energy. I love the song already as it is, Tony, but it's also because, and we've talked about this multiple times, because in stereo, the separation is so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. I prefer it because it's, again, it's like it's like a great improv talk. It's got a great kind of thing where there's multiple games going on within one short burst. And it sounds weird, but the chords are interesting and they're laughing and then John's attacking it and the band's stopping. And then they come in. This song's perfection to me. I love that you love the weirdness of the stereo, you know? It's what I know, Tony. You put ketchup on your hot dog. I get it. You know, it's like that. <laughs> I put I put ketchup, I put mild sport peppers, and I put normal looking relish. The green stuff will give you cancer. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, man. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I will ask you this because I need the validation every time we talk about it. I know it's not one of your very favorites. Do you understand why it's my, like, do you have a, as a Beatle nerd, do you have context for why I'm so crazy about this tune and what makes it different from like a, from me to you or she loves you or a thank you? Do you kind of get it or am I just totally crazy? No, I think I get it. I think in a way it's very similar to the Who's second single, a song called Anyway, Anyhow, Anywhere. Yes, which was great like song. Crazy, and it had feedback on it, and the engineers, the, the lathe cutters, sent the record back like, hey, there's feedback in this record, you know? Their second single, Took a Chance, and it's it's more rock and roll. Like, Love Me Do, I, you know, which is the next song. It's a safer song, you know. Love me do is not gonna. Love me do is not gonna <laughs> try to fuck you tonight. <laughs> Can I fuck you tonight? <laughs> you know what I mean, though. But please, please me is it's at, it's being polite. So it's trying being to do polite, yeah. thankfully. But with urgency, come on, come on, come on, come on. I mean, that's just Uh-oh. it. It's risque. Again, this is not, Bobby V's not doing this. No, no, he's not. She's sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she wants to know what she must do to prove to you. And Tony, you and I have talked a lot about our preference of harmonica versus our preference for no harmonica. I feel like for me to you without harmonica is almost improved. Please, please me without harmonica feels very, very naked. The earlier takes of this without the harmonica 
don't feel the same to me. Some of the the earlier takes that float around. And the other thing I'll say to you, too, is forgive my Beatle ignorance here. I don't know if it's on record. I've never heard the slow Roy Orbison version of this that everyone always talks about before George Martin said, let's pick the tempo up. Does there exist that kind of slower Roy Orbison-y version? No, I, I want to say that's from September 4th of 62, which I believe is the day that um, George had the black eye, I think. So September 4th was when they did How Do You Do It? And then a first version of Love Me Do. So we've never actually heard what Ringo was going to originally do, his drum part for Love Me Do, because Andy, Andy White did his bit. You know what I call Andy White? I call him Andy White Privilege. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. September, so September 11th is when they brought in Please Please Me. It was not customary in 1962 to keep session tapes once completed songs had been mastered for disc. So the Orbison-like Please Please Me no longer exists. We didn't keep outtakes then. There you go. That's what I thought, because I've heard enough from this era where I, I didn't think I'd missed it. But um, yeah, it's my favorite Beatles tune, Tony. And what a way to end side one. And here's an American reference. It's <laughs> much like Drive My Car should kick off yesterday and today. Please, please me should kick off side two of the early Beatles. <laughs> Good night. We're not talking with the early Beatles. We already talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's not on brand for the show to repeat things. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Well, you do. You do eventually flip the record, and it's uh, Love Me Do. Credited to McCartney Lennon, as are all the songs on this album. They're all McCartney Lennons. How about that? Yes, and as I'll get into, they didn't stay that way for their entirety on vinyl. But you've got to tune into episode five for that info. <laughs> Uh, this was written apparently for Paul's then girlfriend, Iris Caldwell, Iris getting another mention, I think. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Because we got We got to drop the goo goo dolls. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I could, I'm really happy that the reference to that song didn't give you anything, but it, Oh God. <laughs> That's a perfect response. <laughs> Influences for Love Me Do include the Everly Brothers, Buddy Holly, and the Goo Goo Dolls. Huh. <laughs> well, Tony, in fairness, when, when they fired Pete, everything was made to be broken. They just wanted them to know who Ringo was. <laughs> what, the, what happened? This song charted at number 17. Due to a, if you know what I mean. Uh, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, a large quantity of the sales were in Liverpool. Brian Epstein is rumored to have purchased 10,000 copies for his NEM stores. Uh, so that's a rumor. That might have been, you know, how they uh, gamed the system. Or as George might have said, it's just a rumor. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. It was just, it's just a rumor. <laughs>
And now, yes, we are violating the policy of uh, no singles on the album now completely. Yeah, but you can't violate a policy on the first album. That's where I give this little bit of a pass. (laughs) True. I I suppose the policy hadn't been made yet. Tony, if they were on DECA, would they have even had an album? That's the beauty of George Martin. Again, if they were on any other record label, Pi or any other label, would they have had a producer with the foresight to have said, they're hot, this is good, let's get them while they're going. That's what George Martin did. And then, to his credit, didn't come in and say, I'm going to remake you boys and do what I want. He said, do your thing. Yeah, I'm going to tweak you around the edges. I'm going to add this. I'm going to add a sub. You heard of Celeste? Oh, you have. You also eat Mama Celeste pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's the most beautiful sounding pizza on the planet. (laughs) Mama Celeste. (laughs) Mama Celeste later started Magical Mystery Tours, a spaghetti woman. (laughs) Mama Celeste had a restaurant way back when she made a special pizza for one for neighborhood friends. But yeah, so that's the thing. And let me do this, of course, is the version. Everyone who's listening to the show, I'm guessing, knows this. This is this version is not the single version. This version has Andy White on the drums and Ringo on the yeah. tambourine. The single version at the time was just Ringo on the drums. Correct. So Correct. and that version became lost to the mist of time as well for many, many years. And as much as it's probably stinks that it's not Ringo on drums on this, as crazy as this might sound, Tony. I feel like Ringo's commanding the swing with his tambourine. I feel like the rhythm mm. of this is being driven by the tambourine. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the, the Beatle beat comes in for sure. Andy White could do an, uh, you know, a Xerox or something of it. but A yeah. mimeograph. A mimeograph. Yeah, this is 63, so a mimeograph. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to correct you. I was really trying to pull a reference out of my ass. <laughs> there are machines of all ages and makes in use today. You may see or use some of these, but regardless of the machine, their basic duplicating principle is the same. Tony, it's obviously their first single. It kicks off 62 to 66. Um, It's low on my favorite Beatles song. By the way, a little bit of trivia. This song does not kick off 20 Greatest Hits, which I think opens with She Loves You, then goes into Love Me Do, which is a very weird chronological thing. I guess they were doing that for flow. They want to start with the pop boiler. Like... I saw her standing there. Love Me Do is not. Yeah. And as much as it's a great song for the history of the Beatles and in terms of being their first single and such, uh, I'd much rather hear Please Please Me than Love Me Do. And I'm not as much of a fan of the second song on side two either. I have P.S. Love Me Do is another early Uh, one. It's one that I have. Oh, P.S. Love Me Do. Oh, whoops. All right. Now we got to cue the 1990 Paul mashup of P.S. Love Me Do. Not the live version. I want the harder to find studio version. Let me do 
you. Pa- Paul, bad idea, my friend. Um, yeah. Yeah, but uh, P.S. I Love You is never one of my favorite songs, too. And I love a ballad Paul Crooner, but P.S. I Love You s- seems stuck more in the DECA auditions than it does in the end I love her that would come the following year. Treasure this you song recorded on that day that's right so they did they did not start with love me do it was uh so september 11th 1962 ringo walks in hoping to play can't wait to play and it's before this song p.s i love you that he has been given the news that uh, andy white is here yeah and yeah that was like a grudge that ringo held against george martin for so long he talks about it. I think on that Ringo VH1 record with the Roundheads, he covers Love Me Do, and it's basically like... I'm just trying to convey how hurt I was. <laughs> and for the last 35 years, I've never let George Martin forget it. It's almost like you too with Helter Skelter. George Martin <laughs> took this from me. I'm taking it back. I'm stealing it back. Stealing it back. <laughs> We're stealing it back. <laughs> Yeah, I think even at George Martin's eulogy, uh, Ringo was like, he was a great man, but he never let me play drums on Love Me Do. <laughs> oh, Ringo. <laughs> Peace and love, George. Peace and he love. He never let me play. No more autographs. Leave me alone. This is a serious message. <laughs> no more autographs after October. <laughs> the 20th of October. Do not send fan mail to any address. <laughs> and no objects to be signed. Nothing. Uh, anyway, peace and love, peace and love. This is a, a letter song, P.S. I Love You, inspired by the Shirelle Soldier Boy and Pat Boone's I'll Be Home. So, woohoo, Pat Boone. So, <laughs> darling, as I write this letter. Inspired by Soldier Boy. <laughs> Soldier Boy, tell. Hey, I got this new dance for y'all called the Soldier Boy. And Bougie Boy of Diva. <laughs> um. You just threw that sucker all the way up. Keep it humming in that hole. Paul said it's not based in reality, nor did I write it to my girlfriend from Hamburg. So. Who knows? It's a it's a Thelma Pickles. <laughs> it's <what's, laughs> yeah, it's what the P stands for. Pickles. Pickles, sweetie, I love you. <laughs> My P stands for pickles. P-S, I love you. Next up, it's Baby, It's You. Music done by Burt Bacharach. Mac David did the lyrics to a song called I'll Cherish You. And then Barney Williams, a.k.a. Luther Dixon, co-composer of Boys, made it uh, Baby, It's You. So he gets uh, rewriting lyrical credit. Is it fair to say this song is best known as being on the soundtrack of the 1988 Jodie Foster, Mark Harmon vehicle stealing home, written by Second City alums Stephen Campman and Will Aldis. You never forget the first girl who steals your heart. I could tell her anything. <laughs> <laughs> 
Lost my virginity. How was it? It's great. Yeah. I don't know. Never done it before, actually. <laughs> Stealing Home was a very, it's a, it's a terrible film that I loved. I've never heard of it. Oh, dude, it's Mark Harmon plays a washed up baseball player, and I think his dad dies, and he tries to fuck his babysitter, oh. and he goes back to the 60s. And uh, yeah, I think, is Harold Ramis in it? And it's just, it's, yeah, he plays his best friend. Yeah, because it's, these guys are Second City guys. And it's one of Jodie Foster's early movies, Mark Harmon, then a St. Elsewhere. Also, if you've not seen the movie Summer School with Mark Harmon, directed by Carl Reiner, it's one of the funniest 80s movies. You're a Chainsaw and Dave guy, right? Francis Grimm. Oh, don't recall me that. The name is Chainsaw. As in Black and Decker? As in Texas Massacre. Oh. Classic. <laughs> At any rate, this song, the original, is featured in the Stealing Home soundtrack. <laughs> With a big picture of Mark Carmen on the cover. Stealing Home. Rated PG-13. Look for it in your video stores. It's not the way you smile that touched my heart. It's not the way you kiss it tears me apart oh, Many, many, many nights go by I sit alone at home and I cry over you What can I do? I don't know, man. I, I really feel like John's vocal on this is a stunner and the George harmony on the Shalalalas, it almost feels like a solo George backup piece. Interesting. I don't know. His, his voice is so dominant on the sha la 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 la. Yeah. His, I will say he has a, a unique voice. I feel like his voice always stands out when they do the three parts. Yeah. Sha la 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 Second to last song to be recorded that night. So this is where you start to hear John's voice. Uh, don't want nobody. Nobody. Start, starts tearing up a bit. And it, it, it works the fade out. Don't leave me all alone. Come on home. The yeah. sore throat. I mean, that's what I'm saying about this record, Tony. I'm not I'm not a moron. I know this isn't revolver. <laughs> I know this isn't I know this isn't, you know, in Tony Parlin's Beatles BI. But there's still the exuberance and the vocal performance on this record for a debut album recorded in a day. Are you kidding me? Is all I'm saying. Cause baby, it's you Baby, it's you Don't leave me all alone Yo, Tony, this song was so beloved in the Beatles kind of uh, world that when the live the BBC record came out in 1994, this was a single, the BBC version, and it charted. So oh, I didn't know it charted. This was actually a single... Um, you can get on 45 and CD single, the BBC version, which is really nice. And instead of the fade out ends with the, and then it ends on a minor seven, which is really neat. That's way cool. Uh, as you mentioned, there was a Celeste overdub and, uh, we mentioned the piano overdub as well, which 
Uh, means we got to take a trip back down to Gearhead's basement. <laughs> it's an overdub slash sale. We've got a Scheidmeyer Celeste up for grabs. Also, this could be yours. A 1905 Steinway Vertigrand upright piano here at Gearhead's basement. Gearheads, where did my head go? Crank, 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 crank. <laughs> did you say that there was a slash sale? <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, an overdub slash Ain't got eyes. I don't think he's on that song. (laughs) I have no idea what the fuck he's saying. Well, the afternoon session produced this original. Do you want to know a secret? Do you want to know a secret? Do you promise not to tell? Whoa, closer. Let me whisper in your ear Say the words you long to hear I'm in love with you Listen John said, I gave it to George to sing. I thought it would be a good vehicle for him because it only had three notes and he wasn't the best singer in the world. Little did he know George would then write... Uh, I love this tune. I think this tune, you know what I, you want to go to Beatle Fantasyland for a second, Tony? I sure. wish, I wish when George did Japan and maybe if George had ever toured again, had he lived, wouldn't this be a fun like thing to trot out in the middle of the show? Just George like on an acoustic, a little like the way Paul does a Blackbird or I will. And just to kind of sing this because not embarrassing singing the song written by John or Paul. And I actually think George could have mashed this up really nicely with another song John and Paul wrote for him that I love. And that's I'm happy just to dance with you. Well, they're different songs. They're very similar in spirit. I think this song is wonderful. It's one he clearly never did live as a solo artist. Ringo's drumstick clicks. And this is another one where it almost feels psychedelic. The doo-da-doos are not normal, especially in stereo. Mm. They're a little, it's almost like the yes, it is harmonies where they're intentionally a little bit off kilter to me. Listen. Maybe my favorite part of this song are those descending harmonies, which yeah. I believe those were influenced by a song by the Stereos called I Really Love You, 1961. Is that the same I Really Love You as the George cover on Gone Trapo? Well, they gave it to Billy J. Kramer, who had a number one with it. You'll never know how much I really love you. You'll never know how much I really care. Yeah, so I don't think the Beatles did it that much. Once they gave it to Kramer, they considered it his song. Yeah, there's one cool BBC version of this that I think is on the second BBC album. And it's cool because I you you don't hear many versions of the song. No. I've known a secret for a week or two. Nobody knows just who 
the Beatles rock band has ruined me because mm. the song resolves at the end in Beatles rock band. It oh. resolves in a major key. And ever <laughs> since I heard that in like 09 or whatever, I don't want to hear the original one. I want to hear it end with... That's funny, man. It That's killed wild. me. <laughs> See, okay, so this is a this is one of those songs that I would pick a different song. This is not my favorite on the record. Paul called it a hack song, written specifically for George, meaning I think he thought of it as like a job. This is a job song. This is one we give to Helen Shapiro. This one we give to Cilla Black. Here's Jerry Billy J Kramer. They gave this to eventually, but first it was given given to George. Well, they wrote that for Helen Shapiro, and they wrote Delta Dawn for Helen Reddy. Delta Dawn. <laughs> Got him balded. Yeah, they were prolific. The songs they gave away. <laughs> and Delta Helen Dawn Reddy. was just a ripoff of Amazing Grace. <laughs> Tony, quickly, one song on that 63 Bootlegs record, Take seven of this has the do da do's way earlier, starting in the first oh, verse. Oh, yeah, that's right. And they're too off key and off kilter. It sounds like a rehearsal. <laughs> yes, it is. A Taste of Honey is up next. Yeah, man. So this was influenced by the Lenny Welch version from 1962, which I quite like because it's got these uh, female vocals and then the organ, that scary organ, Halloween organ is in there. I will return. I will return. I'll come back for the honey and you. Yeah, it's basically like a ver- this this is their version of of Larry's version and I definitely like it more than Till There Was You, you know, if they're going to pick a show tune if you want to call it a show tune. And this is not from a it's not a show tune. It's from a, like a play well, a theatrical song, whatever. Right. But like this like, people put till- makeup on and they pretend they're other people. <laughs> That's what I do. I am what I am. Uh, a little for you Jerry Herman fans. <laughs> You know, Tony, uh, whatever it is, not one of my favorite tunes, and I love Till There Was You. Um, I love Ringo's cover of Shapoopy on Sentimental Journey. But this one I am not a huge uh, fan of. Uh, I will say the I Will Return echo feels very George Martin experimental. It's very cool and weird. And I think George Harrison's guitar playing is really good in this. It's really tastefully played. I've just never, it's, this song's so minor, and the I Will Return, it always sounds like they're walking a sick horse back to the burn uh back to the barn feel the burn i will return yes you know what i mean like i do know yeah i know i know what you mean i know what you mean but i I think i still yeah as far as covers go this one ranks higher for me and maybe because it's just in a minor key and it's kind of it's a waltz a taste of honey a taste of honey tasting much sweeter than wine. 
It was added to their sets for a touch of sophistication, much as like Till There Was You and those. These are those songs that are going to, you know, you're able to like sit down and have dinner with with the folks, you know, your your dead aunt will appreciate this. Uh, that goes into, yes, finally we get another original. It feels like it's been a while. Been a minute. It's been a minute, as the kids say. <laughs> one of my favorites is this next one, Tony. One of the greatest, most sophisticated early Beatles songs there is. That song, There's a Place. There's a place where I can This was the first one they brought into the studio on February 11th. This is the first one they wanted to work on. I think they were real excited about this song at the time. It was their newest song. You know how when you write something new, you do something new. It's at its freshest right now. So uh, this is technically the first song recorded for the album since the others were recorded for a single. So, And the first one to your point to start the day. And this is the one I hold up to the notion that, oh, John didn't write a complete song until in my life. Or I mean, this song is complete. This song is dramatic. This song is meaningful. The song is, it's personal. It's sad. It's meditative. It's contemplative. It's got beautiful yeah. chord changes, great harmonies. John isolated voice when he sings, when I'm alone. I mean, I think the song is a knockout. I love this tune. John says, there's a place was my attempt at a sort of Motown black thing, but it says the usual Lennon things. In my mind, there's no sorrow. It's all in your mind. It's all in the mind, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Paul says this spray that the song's title originated by kind of somewhere, which is there's a place for us somewhere, a place for us from West Side Story, one of the best songs from that show. So this song has a bit of musical theater influence as well, which yeah. even though John was more the rocker, John knew all those tunes too. John knew all the Disney songs. John knew all the musical songs. John knew all the Tin Pan Alley songs. We can't forget that even though Paul was a cheesy one, John had in his DNA as well. Referring to West Side Story, Paul says, but in our case, the place, the somewhere place was in the mind rather than round the back of the stairs for a kiss and a cuddle. This was the difference with what we were writing. We were getting a, a bit more cerebral. And think about that, Tony. That's not a comment that was made during the help sessions. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is referring to the first song they brought in to the fully fleshed out recording sessions for their debut album, their sophistication, their musical taste, their prowess, their intellect, their comedy. It all came together on this record with George Martin at the helm. Um, I think the song is absolutely fantastic. This is another one where the harmonica definitely helps benefit it. Yeah. I also think Ringo's fills at the end. Love those when fills. 
Ringo Spills are so good and they're a little bit wild. The triplets and it's my mind and the harmonies on them. Yeah, man, this song, it feels Please Please Me-esque. It's funny that this is the first thing they recorded that day. It feels like a continuation and composition from Please Please Me. And it's my mind. I mean, I get it. I think they thought this could have been a single. And if you listen to it that way, you can hear it. Uh, but then if you hear something like she loves you or I want to hold your hand, you're like, oh, OK. <laughs> and yeah. But but yeah, there is an excitement on this song. I quite like it. Uh, very similar, though, to the Marvelettes. I want a guy. I want a Which Ringo later covered. I want a guy right after boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you got to hear Ringo's cover of what a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. This is a serious message. Peace and love. Nothing will be signed after the 20th of October. I'm warning you with peace and love. After the 20th of October. And the closing song on the album is one of those weird cases where a song from the 80s went back to the 60s to be a hit. And the John Hughes penned horn-drenched Ferris Bueller, <laughs> um, that cover of Twist and Shout, which the Beatles were able to use early AI to take the horns from the marching band parade off of Twist and Shout. <laughs> Stop me. Take it, Tony. <laughs> You know, a lot of kids are putting squeaky bass drum sounds into their electronic music now. So <laughs> it's the DIY that's this generation's RAM. <laughs> We're of course talking about Twist and Shout, man. Twist and Shout. Famously the final song recorded February eleventh. Yeah, this I mean, yeah, this song's amazing. Yeah, okay. Originally written by Burt Russell, aka Burt Burns and Phil Medley. And the first version was a B-side by the Top Notes in 61. Beatles version based off of the Isley Brothers version in 62. about it tony if the album opens with one of the great paul early rockers and the album closes with one of the great john early rockers how can it not be one of the greatest beatles albums the opener and closers are both pot boilers and while they weren't quote hits they're ubiquitous and known by anybody who knows popular music i saw her standing there was a b-side in the states right. twist and shout was an early single that fell out of print and then was released again in 86 after Ferris Bueller, which, of course, we were referring to a few minutes ago. These were not, hey, Jude, or I want to hold your hand, and yet everybody knows them. It's a thing about Please Please Me. It is bookended by two of the most impactful Beatles rock songs. You want to talk file under rock? That's the top and bottom of Please Please Me. Uh... 
Why didn't they just put that out as a single and call it a day? <laughs> say we're done. We did it already. That's all we do. We don't offer you no more. We gave you our nervous systems. I'm George Harrison as a dangry Chicagoan. Without going out of my window, I can see the White Sox loss. Who's been the most disappointing team in baseball so far this season? I'm going to mention the White Sox. 11 games under, 11 under. It's just a rumor. Uh, I don't know how they do it. We've been recording all day, but the longer we go on, the better they get. That's George Martin after Twist and Shout. Tony, of course, it's better than the Isley Brothers version. And again, the Isley Brothers are one of the more legendary soul acts of all time. This is better than the Isley Brothers version. Yeah, this is like the definitive rock and roll version. Isley Brothers version is great. We wouldn't have the Beatles version without the Isley Brothers version. So there's that. And just to kind of paint a picture as the two guys in their late 40s here, when this song came out, this was when the song was re-released as part of Ferris Bueller in 86. Right. This got airplay through 86 and 87. It's important that I let everyone know in the pre-internet days, in the birthday party, summer party, bar and bar mitzvah party days of 86 and 87, Twist and Shout was a current song. There's no other way to explain it. 23 years after it was recorded, the song was being treated as a current hit. It was a, a staple of Ferris Bueller, and it was also sung by Rodney Dangerfield in the movie Back to School that same year. This song, 23 years old in 86, was everywhere, Tony, and that doesn't happen. Not a lot of bands, not a lot of songs does that happen to. It happened with the Beatles in this tune. Yeah, man. And it happened in Chicago. Don't forget that. Yeah, it happened in <laughs> Chicago, Tony, like Al Capone's vault. <laughs> yeah. The mystery of Al Capone's vaults will continue after these messages. Tony, talk about the Ferris Bueller version, my friend. Are you pro-horn or anti-horn? Paul McCartney was anti-horn. Get that fucking horns off there. It's garbage. McCartney made a comment like if we wanted bloody horns on it, we would have put horns on it. Yeah, yeah. That was his, uh, you know, and I agree with him in that case. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the the, uh, album comes to an end with John kind of coughing and sniffing. I don't know if you can hear the sniff in the stereo version of the mono. John coughs and sniffs. relief yeah it's relief and this was on the charts for so long in england in 63 tony and the fact that the capital and the states didn't want it and then vj released basically the same album initially taking off one of the singles as far as debuts go tony i mean i'm not going to get into the is this the best debut of all time but is this a debut in your mind befitting of the beatles given what would follow yeah no this is a great record I think the energy on it is amazing. Personally, I think this album is more significant as a historical document than as a musical LP based on their canon and what they're about to do. I understand why the record has things like P.S. I Love You on it and Chains. Do you want to know a secret? The lighter fare, I'll call it. But I saw her standing there. Please, please me. Twist and shout. I'm getting into the fantasy world here again, but imagine, imagine if they had done some other guy. Long tall salad. Now, 
shimmy like my sister Kate. Imagine what that record would be. That record would be just like a fucking rock and roll record that would just kick your fucking ass and kick your teeth out. And I would love that. As a rock and roll lover, I would love that. But think of that changes history, because then you kick a taste of honey into with the Beatles, and then you wind up kicking Hold Me Tight to Hard Day's Night, and then it just goes <laughs> down the can, and then you blink and see Leap Dicks in the Abbey Road medley. <laughs> Daddy, old man. See that? No, that is a cautionary tale. You're right. You're right. (laughs) But if you order now, you can have my Fantasy Beatles debut album, Sniffing Leather with the Beatles. A big hype sticker on there, guaranteed to soil your knickers. (laughs) Well, Tony, you let your knickers down. (laughs) You let your knickers down. I love this record as is. I wouldn't change a thing. I'm just saying, like, how do songs in the year 2023, which is when we're recording this, how do songs like Chains still sound? They, they sound old to me, et cetera. I'm just coming from right now as a music buyer, as a music listener right now. I would love to hear this record with songs that rock more, less songs for mom and dad. Well, you want to rock more, Tony? And I, you know what I want to hear right now? What's that? Van Halen. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. just listen to Van Halen. Tony, I know it's Sammy Hagar, but to me, that song still means everything. <laughs> Bulls, Knicks, next. <laughs> they would use that on Channel 5 for Bulls, Six games. No, please, cousin. You know, I'm not like this because I'm in Van Halen. I'm in Van Halen because I'm like this. Okay, Tony, so let's talk about some of the iterations of the album. I learned something doing research for this that I wanted to share with you. I have, of course, the cassette from the 1987 cassette issue of this. And, you know, the cassette, you know, a song that the cassette opens with. I don't. The cassette opens with misery. (laughs) So, (laughs) I mean, I I mean, (laughs) the tape opens with misery. It also has an Apple logo. It's a 92 tape. But here's the thing. I found in my collection something I didn't remember I had. I don't know where the hell I got this. It's a pressing of it from Spain. It's got to be a 70s pressing of the cassette. Oh, cool. From Spain? Yeah. And this also opens with Misery. So when the cassettes initially, it wasn't just the 87 cassette reissues in the States that were weird. They were apparently based on European cassettes. And I didn't know that till we were, I was looking for stuff for this episode. Yeah, that is so strange. Yeah, some of those cassette orders and eight track orders are, are bonkers. I guess it's just because of the tape to timing. They're trying to get the sides of the tape to be the same amount of time. So they switch the songs around to get the program times yeah, the same. But, but it's so awkward because all of a sudden now on the cassette, side one begins with misery and goes into chains. What? Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a weird record, man. Yeah, that's a weird record. Why? If I, I saw her standing there is on side one, why can't that be at the top? Why do you have to put it in the middle of the yeah, tape? I... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the thinking behind that sequencing is, man. 
Yeah, that I wanted to mention that. And also I wanted to mention, you know, there's many different reissues of this. One of my favorites I wanted to show you, Tony, the first time this was ever put on vinyl in the States was 1987. And this is not all that uncommon, but it's cool to see the Please Please Me record with the retro capital 86, 87 label. It's just neat to see Please Please Me (laughs) with the rainbow label. Yeah, that is cool. That's and I would cool. say, too, if you have a chance to check out the stereo vinyl or the mono vinyl from 2014, I listen to all my pressings of this thing, including um, that kind of this uh, uh, 87 mono vinyl. I listen to the newer mono. The new mono vinyl of this from 2014 is the greatest way I've ever heard this record. I cannot yeah, recommend the vinyl cut of this enough. And in fact, I don't know if yours has this inside it, Tony, but my mono vinyl has a special insert. Yeah. And it's fascinating. It says working with the master tapes of please. This is from 2014 by uh, Sean McGee, the mastering engineer, Steve Berkowitz, one of my people, the mastering (laughs) supervisor. And they write working with the master tapes of please, please me was challenging because adhesive used to make the original edits had seeped through onto adjacent layers of recording tape. Yeah. When the master was played, layers of glue and oxide accumulated on the tape machine playback Head, causing a loss of higher frequencies in the music. So what they had to do was create a new analog cutting master for this special vinyl re-release because unlike all the reissues from the 70s and 80s and 90s, they went back to the original tapes for this, which is really damn neat. What's also cool about the 2014s is that they are not encumbered by the standards of 1960s record players. So you can get more low end, you can get more high end, you can, yeah, your frequency range is larger. Therefore, you're hearing more information, more Beatles, more mop top. That, that's what they say. They say there's a, the cutting engineers, Tony, say there's actually more information on the on the new uh, 2014 model uh, vinyl than there was on the original. And I believe as beautifully as these are presented in the mono box set. I believe Apple and the Beatles people did a disservice to the average fan by not making the mono LPs available separately. I think that's a really unfortunate choice. Yeah, man. Yeah. So give that a thought. Calderstone or Apple or whoever is. <laughs> I still, we got to get to the bottom of who Calderstone. Like, are, are they like live golf tournament? Are they Saudis? Who are these people? <laughs> right. Who are Calderstone? <laughs> I'm sure they're good people because the Beatles don't associate with bad people unless it's Alan Klein, but that's a long time ago. Yeah. So I just, I don't entirely know what Calderstone is as an entity. That's an episode for another time. Indeed. Well, hey, TJ, happy 60th to please, please me. Thanks to our producer, Casey Baker, working hard this summer on all these deep dishes. And on his body. Have you seen lifeguard Casey? <laughs> are you walking on cows or are those just fat calves? <laughs> well, in 2012, TJ Rolling Stone ranked Please Please Me number 39 on their list of 500 greatest albums of all time. TJ, you are my number 39 in my 500 friends list. How about that? Well, Tony, you're my please, please me. You know, you're my cheap McDonald's hamburger in the early 90s because they had a commercial that went for their hamburger and cheeseburger. It went 39, 49. And they had glory shots of burgers. And they went, it's a good time for the great taste of Kenny Rogers Roasters. Put chicken in me. 
Stick it. At Kenny Rogers Roasters, we want you to be healthy. <laughs> Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe. And yo soy, señoras, señores, cantan los Beatles. Nosotros somos The Beatles.